Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to yet another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan. But today, after a result like that, bringing in the big gun special guest, you all should know him by now, Marco Gate17 on Gate17 Marco on Twitter. What do you say? Head honcho of of the Gate17 Chelsea book publishing dynasty, season ticket holder, stall man. The list goes on, but you all know Marco. So, Marco, thanks for coming on and bringing your perspective today. I'm armed with a glass of Guinness. Oh, there it is. Appreciate you for that. Excellent. My man. Um, and so, yeah, gentlemen, obviously it's post-Sheffield United, not the result we wanted. We'll be getting into quite all of that. As always, we just like to start a show with some gratitude as well. So the people who joined Patreon, thank you so much. Dan is home now, so he will be catching up on shipments. We do it once a month in case you haven't gotten your stuff yet. Uh, but Carlos, Greg, Devin, Mark, and Jerry all joining up. Uh, Dan, this this Apple podcast review war with Mike Ryan Ruiz of the Chelsea Mike Up podcast continues. It's been uh, quite the battle. And I think the important thing is that uh, we're all friends here because Mike Ryan did leave a wonderful review uh, of the no. show, five stars. Mm. We, we returned the five star review. It may have slandered Nick mm. a little bit, but that's okay. Um, maybe more libelous because it's written, not uh, spoken. But anyway, Deuce J, uh, Clay B, Happy in Camp Hill, PA. MR52, Baja Chaser, Grifaldo, Fire Guy 212, Trumbull Blues, Russell FP, uh, Abhinav Ad Hikari, and Nick Gomez from the LA Blues, all What's leaving up? five-star reviews for Apple Podcast on Apple Podcasts for our show. We appreciate it. If you're on Apple Podcasts right now, leave a five-star review so we can shout you out uh, after we beat Norwich. Yee, gonna need that, Nick. Uh, lastly, just little call-outs from you since uh, we don't have any gifts at this time. No gifts today. Um, yesterday's result was enough for most people. So um, we're gonna go uh, subscribe on YouTube. We are putting out all of our match preview content there um, only on YouTube. So uh, help us boost those numbers up a little bit. And then at London Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. 
please give us a courtesy follow. Thank you. Yeah, that that's for you, Reed, who apparently, I don't know if you're being facetious or not, said, we do YouTube content, yet you're in the Discord and we post it all the time there. So that's on you, sir. You have to try to miss it. Anyways, it is the match review time already. And for those of you complaining that we take 10 minutes to get into it, we are at four minutes right now. We are cruising in because we have, complainers. we have a lot to cover in this one. Obviously, it was Sheffield United at Bramall Lane in the Premier League. Uh, Scoreline, in case you missed it, Chelsea, or Sheffield United 3, Chelsea 0. And you got to love Naz reminding us on Twitter, today was Sheffield United's biggest win over Chelsea since 1967, which has been a while. Uh, so to set this one off, we will run the goals for you. Uh, courtesy of the Chelsea fifth stand-up, the only official Chelsea FC app out there. Uh, best highlights, interviews, and content. If you're a Chelsea fan, go check it out. Here we go. It's another away day for Chelsea as the Blues meet the Blades in Yorkshire. Chelsea's midweek victory at Palace means Frank Rampard's side start the weekend in third place and with Leicester, Manchester United and Wolves all in action after the Blues. Today is an opportunity to put pressure on top four rivals. In from Reese James into a really good area as well and Pulisic coming in at the back post. Couldn't keep his header down first, big chance for Chelsea. Here's McBurney, clever ball back in toward Osborne too, allowed to travel a long way across the Chelsea box. Mount still hasn't been able to get it away, back in from Baldock, there's McBurney on the volley, great save kept the first time but there's McGoldrick to put in the rebound. He's finally got his Premier League goal, David McGoldrick, and unfortunately for Chelsea it's the Blues whom he struck against, he couldn't really miss from inside the six yard box. Now, a bit of room to cross here for Ender Stevens. It's 2 0. Another simple, simple goal for Sheffield United. Ollie McBurney nodding in Ender Stevens' cross. James, you're going to have a pop. He is, you know. Oh, and so unlucky it didn't come out to Abraham from Henderson. Ball in. Oh, Rudiger attacked it, and then Abraham at the back post couldn't turn it in. Here's McGoldrick, playing in Moussa, angle's very tight for him here, trying to cut it back across, it'll come for McGoldrick, game over. David McGoldrick, second of the afternoon, surely condemns Chelsea to defeat here. A breakaway goal from the home side. Well, we never got to Sheffield United's level as a team, did we? You know, individuals, yes, and unfortunately, we've lost the game. Three games to go in the Premier League, much work to do to secure Champions League football for next season. Final score at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United 3, Chelsea 0. All right, Marco, I know you love a bet. I know you love a punt. What happened today as far as our, you know, the goals all going against us? Didn't even keep a clean sheet. Nothing happened. Is this at all what you imagined going into this one? Um, I think the problem is that a lot of people this season have been kind of labouring under the misapprehension that Sheffield United are kind of Burnley. Um, in, in terms of the way they play football. And, and I just think, um, you know, they set up 3-5-2. As soon as I saw that, I thought, we're, we're going to have problems here because, um, you know, Stevens and Osborne on their left side were going to give it to William and James. I kind of saw that coming and I think it was brutally... Um, the brutal truth, I think I think it was their second or third goal. Um, I think it was their third goal, actually, when, you know, they just whipped Chelsea uh, down 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 that side. Um, you know, and, and they're, a, they're a bloody good side, Sheffield. And, you know, Chris Wilder has done a phenomenal job there. Um, so, you know, to, to go into that game, as a lot of people were doing, and sort of say, yeah, yeah, we're going to roll these guys over. It was a little bit naive, um, you know. And, and it, I think in the opening, the opening exchanges, you know, it's clear Pulisic is the man on fire. You know, he he was taking it. Baldock dropped him inside five minutes, got booked. So you know, he kind of thought, "Well, oh, here we go. That's handy." Um, but nothing came of it, and it was kind of you know the, the Groundhog Day scenario. Um, lots of possession. Uh, having to 
struggling when Sheffield counterattacked, and then you know they they took the lead from a counterattack. So it's it's been the story of Chelsea's season. Yeah, unfortunately, it has been. I mean, Dan, if if you look at the the table objectively, I mean, shouldn't Wilder be the front man for manager of the season? I mean, no offense, oh, without- but. Yeah, Without going from promoted to challenging for Europe to me is a much bigger accomplishment than Klopp going from losing the title by one or two points to coasting this season. Uh, he used the converted John Lundstrom FPL hero for the first half of the season yeah. and Lord made, made him. Uh, yeah, just the, the Lord John Lundstrom. Uh, you know, minor signings their squad. Uh, you look at Xander Burge coming in, who's who kind of found some form after coming in in the winter transfer window. He's done a job, and he has rightfully, I think, embarrassed you know us as a squad across the, the two matches we played them. Uh, but it also has done the business against you know the other teams in the top six too. And so, if you can. Get this team into Europe if you can do it on the back of a promotion with minimal investment into the actual squad. I mean, credit credit to them, Brandon. They uh, they absolutely have done the business and, and are, are deserving of praise. Uh, at the same time, this is also an indictment of just how much further Chelsea have to go. I think I think it's an interesting point actually uh, to make. Um, if you look at Wolverhampton Wanderers, who played some—I've seen them quite a lot. You know, they they play a really attractive brand of football. They've got a better squad of players than um, Wilder has his, at his disposal at Sheffield United, that's for sure. But you know, Nuno very rarely—you know—he he picks the same team since the restart. He's pretty much picked the same team, and they, you know they they've looked knackered at times, but they came back today with a good win. And Wilder's the same, you know. I think these these squads um, they keep their players fit, um, and they don't, you know. There's not a huge number of players on the roster that would get into the team, so it's pretty much the same starting eleven or the same match day squad week in week out. And I think, and I know, I know we'll come on to it later. I'm sure, um, you know, one one of the biggest problems Frank Lampard's had this season is. He doesn't know what his best team is. And from a defensive perspective, um, clearly, uh, with the centre-backs at his disposal, um, he doesn't know his best um, defensive pairing as far as centre-backs go. Uh, and, and all of that just boils down to, you know, one thing, and that's inconsistency. Um, you know, and until that's addressed, we're just going to get the same... Every time we play a team that knows how to set themselves up to play Chelsea. Nick, I guess, do you want to get one last shot in? And you missed our three reasons why Chelsea win, three reasons why Chelsea might lose debate. So I guess, you know, you going into it, probably, you know, the least thrilled out of all of us. But, I mean, did this kind of play out the way you expected or was there a twist in there? I didn't feel good about the game. I, I thought we were, it was a prime opportunity for Sheffield to like get a draw against us, you know, just frankly heading into this. But it is clear kind of to what Marco said, Frank has more options than Chris Wilder does in terms of players he can pick to freshen up the squad. But it's clear that he doesn't trust all of them. Um, and when you don't trust all of them, you get tired legs and a listless performance like we gave yesterday. And, uh, there, if we would have played 180 minutes of football, we still wouldn't have scored a goal yesterday. There's just no way. So uh, it it was bad. All right. Well, let's go ahead and kind of dive into it like we traditionally do. Uh, Dan, that means you're up with the lineups for this one, which I'm, I'm, I'm amazed you picked it exactly the way it was. Congrats on your first lineup prediction. Well, it's uh, <laughs> not, it would be better if we won too. You know, this is like a uh, consolation prize, a very, very terrible prize. Uh, Kepa between the sticks, Andreas Christensen and Kurt Zuma as the center back pairing, Reese James and Espelicueta on the flanks. Jorginho makes it back into the side, the forgotten man. Uh, did, no haircut still, just clear to point out. Uh, Ross Barkley and Mason Mount as well in the midfield. Christian Pulisic, William, and Tammy Abraham 
up top, substitutes included Willie Caballero, Mateo Kovacic, Louis Bate, first time on the bench for him, which is pretty exciting for young man. Didn't get a chance to make it into the side, though. And Mishi Batshuayi, all as unused substitutes. Rudiger, Alonzo, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Olivier Giroud, and Calum Hudson-Odoi all made appearances off the bench. Yep, five subs back in action. Uh, top line stats, Chelsea was 76% possession. We had 15 shots to four on target. Sheffield had nine shots, also four on target. Uh, our touches dominated passes. This is wild, 809 to 251. They only had 251 passes all match, and we lost 3 nothing. So there's that. Uh, they had 37 clearances to our 12. Six corners to their four. Six fouls to their eight. You know, yada, yada, yada. Then you get to the expected goals because it's a data point. Uh, Sheffield United had a 2.14 expected goals. They scored three. Chelsea had a 1.3 expected goals, scored none. So uh, those are kind of the, the stats, the baseline. But Nick, you threw in something from Liam here, which you wanted to touch on before we get into the maybe the deep analysis. Yeah, the deep analysis being the bad luck that we have with our shirt sponsor. Um, or conspiracy theory. Maybe we, maybe we get a bonus. Let's go we through gotta it. We've got to get Jake to put in like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Liam threw out a tweet yesterday that I thought was just perfect, kind of summarized the day. Not watching the match as I've been moving house. Fair play to Chelsea for showing solidarity with me by not showing up either. Hmm. Tough. Tough but fair. Yep. And then what is this about the, the the sponsorship that's going on? What the hell, Chelsea? You signed three, you know, the mobile <laughs> provider in the UK. And now we've got a three in every single one of our results since then, Nick. Yeah, it had to be. Once Sheffield went up 2 nothing. of course they had to score a third. Uh, lost 3-0 to Sheffield. Beat Palace 3-2, beat Watford 3-0, and lost to West Ham 3-2. So um, pretty uh, symmetrical results there, I would say. I think we get a bonus every time they can use the number three in the scoreline for Chelsea. It must be like one of the new ways that that you know Guy Lawrence is racking in the cash for Chelsea. Um, but let's go ahead and dive into this one on, a, on the pitch part of the analysis. So... Look, Dan, straight straightforward. Chelsea completely unable to break through Sheffield's defense. You look at this pass map, we are nowhere even close to their box with this point. The majority of our play, even in our own defensive half, and we had 76% possession. It's reminiscent of some of the matches we saw last season under Mauricio Sarri where <gasps> what? You know, there's are you comparing no, Lampard no, to Sarri? Well, when you have Jorginho in the was center. Jorginho was playing. Jorginho was playing. Wow. I, I mean, look, you know, we, we saw <laughs> Ngolo Conte go off of the lineup. And, you know, I think a couple things happened here. I think Mateo Kovacic is not fit enough to play. So while he made the bench, it wasn't necessarily ever Mirage. maybe even an option. Because if he was healthy, I'm sure he would have started ahead of Jorginho. But the sideways passing that we saw in this match and the way he, you know, kind of look at the way that he sits in the center. You know, he is not moving the ball fast enough to enable Mason or Barkley uh, or any of the other players to move up the field quick enough. You know, he really does slow down the tempo. And, you know, we'll get to Lampard's comments, uh, you know, in the later part of the episode. But ultimately, it just it wasn't fast enough. The tempo was concerning from, from the beginning. And, you know, Marco, I think you know, Jorginho really made it difficult for the center backs to find lanes to kind of pass through or pass into. And then also made it difficult for Mason and for Barkley because they were really, you know, they had to continue dropping back to try to engage with him. Yeah. I, it's, well, it just goes back to the point made earlier about, you know, you need stability at the back and you need stability in that kind of defensive midfield or just the, the, the block and tackle midfield area of the team. And without that consistency at the moment, what we've got is a scenario where they're playing a game every three days or four days. So I guess there isn't that much time in between the games 
to kind of do dress rehearsals of how we're going to play against um, the next opponent. And, you know, that, that was clearly evident to me yesterday. Uh, you, you know, I mean, Frank was right. To, I know the scoreline was against us at halftime, but Christensen was poor. Mount was poor. Uh, Jorginho wouldn't have stayed on the pitch if um, he'd had, you know, Kante or, or um, Kovacic at his disposal, or even Gilmore. I mean, if he had any of those three, he probably wouldn't have played anyway. But but you know, that's that that was the problem. They're just playing like strangers, and and you can't do that against a disciplined team that are set up to do exactly what they did um, as far as Sheffield are concerned. And, and and the annoying thing is this has happened, you know, pretty much every game we've lost this season. And there's been, I don't know, how many we lost now? 11, is it, in the league? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yep. 11. Yeah, you know, I think in pretty much all those games, um, we've been beaten because of the, 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 the same reason, just a lack of cohesiveness at the back. Um, I mean, for, the, the only fortunate thing about losing 3-0 was we, we didn't concede from a corner. I'm not sure Sheffield got that many. <laughs> they, they sure did not, actually. They, they had four, though, so they had a handful. So we could take that as a positive yeah. uh, and quickly move off of it, Nick. Uh, um because, you know, Tweed's put this out about, you know, to, to Marco's point, the cohesion defensively. The back four, we've had starting center back pairs. We've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven different pairs of center backs this season. Tomori and Zuma being the most common with 10. Zuma Christensen in second with nine. And Rudiger Christensen in third with eight. Then it's just, you know, a handful from there on. But still, Frank has just hasn't trusted or figured this out to let it settle. And it's continued to be center backs not on the same page with who's stepping into space, who's going to the man. And unfortunately, it happened yet again with three pretty bad center back actions or lack thereof for all three goals. I'm just going to make another point because um, I know you guys love stats, but, but you know we've we've shipped forty nine goals in the league this season. Mm-hmm. That, that's more than any other team in the top ten in the Premier League. So you know it's pretty damning evidence that if you need it, that something's not right. And I know Paul Kepper's had his fair share of criticism along the way, um, and and some of it rightly justified, but you know. What he's got in front of him doesn't exactly inspire, um, you know, a keeper with the confidence that he needs to do a job. You know, I mean, you look at Burnley as an example, and everybody keeps talking about Nick Pope, and he had another blinder yesterday against Liverpool. But he's actually got a fairly robust defence in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they, they get undone when they come up against. Um, I don't know. They got hammered against by City, didn't they? We we slaughtered them seven one this year in aggregate. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, so it, it it does bring up a point though, right, Marco? Like you look at the goals that were scored yesterday. Uh, first goal, you know, hard deflection off Barkley. Kep actually makes a decent reaction save, although not you know didn't push it wide, kind of push it back in the box, and then our center backs were all a yard off from doing anything about the rebound, right? So there's it's kind of maybe a little bit unlucky for Keppa. The second one, I certainly think he could have at least reached a handout. He was planted, you know, as firmly as a person could be on the near post. Mm. And then the third one was a horrible defensive mistake. And yeah. look, man, it, it is, it's wild to me that we, you know, again, McGoldrick hadn't scored in the league all season, I think. He never scored in the Premier League. So we gave up two to him. Yeah, yeah. He had, he had a career highlight of a day, obviously. So I mean, like, we can say whatever we want here, right? It's it's just not good enough, it, and it hasn't been all year. Hey, it, and it. So so question, and this is from Discord, and I think this is a really interesting one from Ghana Zagina. I will never be able to pronounce your handle. Please change it. <laughs> <laughs> 
asks, last year, um, we evaluated Maurizio Sarri by asking, did he make any of the players better over the course of the season? With three games to go in the league, has Frank Lampard made any players better this season? And I think that we would probably say some attacking players, absolutely. But defensively, Dan, this is a recurring nightmare of just lack of improvement, I think, all season. It's compounded by the fact that, you know, when we saw some of the promising results from a center back pairing, it was a really, really long time ago when we saw Tamori and Zuma line up together. And we felt like maybe there was going to be something there, but Tamori being out with. Uh, muscular injury and and longer term injury has prevented that from happening again. They I mean, they had looked promising up until the point that Rudiger came back from injury and kind of popped back into the the starting eleven. And then we go on this run where it's Rudiger and Christensen for a long period of time, and then it's you know now back to to Zuma and Christensen, and maybe now it's going to be Rudiger and Zuma. It's just the rotation to the point that Marco is making is just so difficult to respond to. It hasn't made things better. And, and, you know, for think, frankly, it's, it is not something that could be easily fixed with one signing. One center back signing does not make this back line better tomorrow. Uh, because I, you know, I think about defenses as a unit and maybe you feel this way, Brandon, as a goalkeeper, like it is a, it is a Kepa problem. It is a center back and back line problem. And the whole defense is, I think, ripe for renovation and, and exits heading into next season so that we can be competitive in a way that we're not today. Yeah, uh, it's I mean, it's not easy. You know, the, the defensive unit includes a goalkeeper. And, you know, even Kepa hasn't been there all season. He's been there most of the season. So you can even add that as a rotation. So really, no one's settled. You know, the fact that Aspie is playing left back over Alonzo and Emerson right now just doesn't sing praises for them after Alonzo had a little bit of a run. You know, it's just it it continues to change, uh, and it and that lack of cohesiveness. You know, I think overall is just a big concern. You know, again, we'll get to Lampard's comments at the end because he seemed to make some very definitive judgments on some players that we can try to read between the lines in. Um, but we'll just have to kind of play through that and see. But yeah, I mean, the last thing I just want to go back to is Jorginho again, because we kind of skipped over him. You know, his first start since the restart. And it's it'd be very easy, Nick, to be like, oh, he was new to the lineup. We suck. Jorginho's fault. I don't think it was completely that simple, but he didn't cover himself in glory. I, I would have to say that. No, I mean, like, I think he had an objectively poor game by his standards. Like, if he's supposed to be the metronome in the team, the there was no tempo. There was no, like, it was a slow-moving, lethargic performance as we've seen all year. And when you look at this pass map, it basically makes a yield sign right next to Jorginho, which is not ironic. I mean, the ball went backwards or side to side per everyone's criticism of him but at a slower pace that didn't move it around the horn. I mean, it just didn't work. And I think a lot of, you know, it's a combination of tired legs and just a really bad overall performance, but you have to look at this and figure out that there, there has to be another way forward. And when we finally started hitting long balls to Giroux near the end of the game, we, we finally saw some reward from that because we skipped over them bogging down the midfield with those, you know, those five players, like Marco said, but yeah, it, it wasn't going to be Jorginho's day. And unfortunately I think he was played there just due to a lack of personnel. 120 touches, 92% pass accuracy. I mean, again, statistically Marco, you'd think, Oh yeah, he was on the ball the whole time. He was moving it. We retained possession, had a couple tackles, but it was that, you know, I hate to use that sorry ball comparison, but it it just didn't really ever go forward. Well, no, the, the, there was one move, um, and I, I think it, it culminated in a, a shot. I think Reese James had a shot which Henderson saved. I can't remember, but there was one move where Chelsea had twenty eight passes, twenty nine passes. They moved it up up the right flank, back down the right flank. 
through Jorginho, out to the left, up, back across, and then eventually it went over the halfway line. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of peak Sarri ball. Um, and I was just wondering, what are these guys doing? You know, they're 2-0 down. Have some urgency. Um Move, you know, get the ball forwards. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's it's wrong. Thirty-five games into a thirty-eight game season, we shouldn't be having these conversations. Um, I appreciate, you know, that the, there's been there's been a break and there's a question mark over whether we should be playing at all. But we are, and it's the same for everyone else. Um, so it's not an excuse, you know. They, they, those players should be playing as a team. And the infuriating thing is, you know, I wasn't on the show, but I'm sure it was a different discussion altogether when we beat Manchester City a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, so the, the ability to to play, um, and it's a different game, which is quite interesting because Chelsea have to play on the counter against City and maybe they're better suited to do that. I, I don't know. Because where we come up short, where we've come up this short this season, as you've already mentioned, you know, it's against Bournemouth, against Southampton, against Newcastle United, um, teams that uh, you know this shouldn't be happening against. Whereas you know we, we we stand there and applaud Frank for doing the doing the double over Jose Mourinho's Tottenham, um, you know, winning at the Emirates, uh, you know, all, all of these things. Um, just smack of inconsistency and you know I mean obviously I've followed the club for a long time and this is kind of old school Chelsea going back to um, sort of the the, the, the 80s uh, when we were back in the prem, in the in the top flight uh, and we, we you know we'd go and get beat United home and away the season they won the double um, and then lose lose at home to Charlton Athletic you know, that is real old school Chelsea, but it was kind of forgivable then because it was the way it was. We didn't have the players. Um, there's no excuse for it now, you know, and I'm sorry, and I love Frank to bits, but, you know, you have to look at what he's doing from, from a coaching perspective. Um, you can't just keep saying, well, these players aren't good enough. It's not their fault because, you know, what does Chris Wilder do? Are his players not good enough? Why is, why is Sheffield United sixth or seventh in the table? You know, why are Wolves having a good season? You know, those those excuses are pretty lame. The transfer window thing, you know, fair enough. It didn't, he didn't have a transfer window. He's had to play the youth. But some of those kids are pretty good players. Um, I think it's interesting that, you know, perhaps the two most... Uh, you know, William perhaps has been, I mean, he, had a, he didn't have a good game yesterday, but he's probably been the most consistent player since the restart, um, which has surprised a lot of people. Uh, you know, and Pulisic, maybe he's played too much football or he just got marked out of the game yesterday um, in terms of, you know, being as effective as he has been. But all of those things need to be addressed on, on the, during coaching. Um, and, you know, people have said, well, you know, every time, you know, we should consider a defensive coach, get JT back, blah, 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 all, all of these things. But something needs, there is something not right in terms of the way the team is set up. Um, and, you know, this summer we've got Timo Werner in, we've got Ziyech in, um, who knows if Havertz is coming? We'll probably buy a centre back, Ben Chilwell. I don't know that that, and probably sell a few players. But that just makes for a whole new melting pot to work with. But unless they're coached and they're cohesive and they work with a plan and they can get results week in, week out, um, we're just going to kind of be in the in the zone that we're in at the moment, where it's just infuriating, and we're going to come up short against teams that we should be beating and then think, you know, great, you know, we've beaten Tottenham away. We, we've um, we've pulled, you know, we've beaten Manchester City and we cheer those victories because we're Chelsea and it's brilliant. And then we, we don't turn up at games that, that we should be winning. 
and that needs fixing and it's a coaching yeah. thing in my opinion yeah well let's go ahead and turn to frank uh real quick we're going to take a, a short ad break but when we're back we're going to talk about what did frank learn and we'll hear his reaction because it was very stern uh and very telling i think so yeah uh be right back okay so moving on from the players to the gaffer the manager frank Dan, I don't know anyone else I'd rather have read these fiery quotes than you right now. <laughs> so feel free, light the emotional fire and let it rip. Because I can help bring some soothing nature to it. If Nick is banned from reading these. <laughs> uh, Lampard's reaction. So here's a couple of quotes. Uh, quote, they're disappointing goals, mistakes that led to goals, individual errors. And if you do that, you'll lose football matches against good teams. I've got to be careful not to overanalyze this one because it's what you do. Analyze all season and review things. What we have to do with that game is put it to bed because the only thing that matters is that we fight for top four and that we're still in the race because of how we've been this season. We had to put this game away very quickly, but I learned a lot. I won't forget that. You tend to learn more in tough moments and tough games, but that's for me to deal with moving forward. Uh, so those are just a couple of the quotes. Um, I, I think the one that was probably the most interesting was when he talked about, I've learned a lot of things. It will be a long answer. I didn't hear them because Sheffield United had more voice and personality that reflected in the way that they played. It's a absolute indictment, Nick, of the 16 players who made it onto the pitch today. And, you know, the whole couple matches ago where we talked about the playing for the badge in the dressing room and responding, you know, the, the way that Barkley and the rest of the team did then, uh, very clear that there's... There's a list of players who may have played their last game for Chelsea or have put themselves on the you know in the shop window. Yeah, I mean we, we were talking about this, right? Like obviously Frank with a transfer window will be able to do things that he was not able to do at the beginning of the season. It does make me wonder though, and and I think Marco was kind of, you know, hedging towards this this response. Yes, the players all had a bad game. Yes, everyone's probably tired. You know, yes, there were some unacceptable defensive lapses, and there have been all season. So, yes, you should be able to hypothetically put at least 50% of the blame, Marco, on the players, right, um, for, for making the mistakes. The manager can't go out there and physically do anything during the match. However, the, the thing is, every time I see these quotes from a manager – it makes me wonder what they work on all week, right? I mean, we have plenty of tape on Sheffield United and how they play, and we've already played them once this year. So we, we kind of get that they're going to sit back, be a counterattacking team, uh, use their size advantage over us, and uh, try and just hit us on the break a couple of times to see if they can nick something, right? Like, it shouldn't have been a shock yesterday. And for Chelsea to have 75% of the possession – and do nothing with it means zero to me. Um, you know, I would have rather gone out there with a Wolves-like approach and, and also just sit back and just maybe let the ball ping around the midfield for a little bit and see what happens, rather than consistently dribble it around their box and never shoot. Um, so I, it makes me wonder what Frank is working on a little bit, which I think is what you were kind of getting to before the break. Marco, what are your thoughts on that? Players versus manager and just lack of any end product really yeah i mean the positive the positive is there doesn't appear to be any kind of issue where you know we, we've had in the past with managers and players at chelsea when they've gone through a tough time and the, you know the, the the there's the inevitable line that the managers lost the dressing room or there are clicks um there's no there's no inference that that's the case um, so the question is, you know, what are these guys doing to set themselves up to play these games? Um, you know, we have a game plan when we go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We have a game plan when we're playing um, Pep Guardiola. But we, we just didn't look like we had one yesterday. It was kind of like, well, give the ball to Pulisic because he's on form at the moment and see what the kid can do. Um, 
But beyond that, it was bizarre, you know, and the it's most bizarre was that weird passing sequence that um, we, we talked about earlier. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what what goes on? <laughs> what goes on on the on the on the on the training pitch? How, how did how did how did Frank prepare his team to play Sheffield United yesterday? Because there was no evidence. That, 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 that was any kind of plan. In fact, then to back that up, um, he changed it, didn't he, at half-time. Yeah. So on, on came Alonso, um, who shuffled across to the left. Then we went three at the back and, and matched Sheffield United with 3-5-2. I mean, come on. You know, um, that, that, that's what teams used to do against Chelsea when, when Conte reinvented football. So... You know, it's, it's weird. Yeah, I, so I talked about that in kind of the the three ways Chelsea might lose. And it was that, hey, we're going to play against a 3-5-2 with overlapping center backs that we haven't seen since the end of August. We haven't prepared for this. It's on short rest. They've been playing it all season. And one of my concerns was, I don't know if we're going to be able to find our way through it because it's going to be so radical to what we've seen. And we didn't. We couldn't find space against this team. We were massively outnumbered in the midfield. And because of that, like they just kind of swallowed us up. I That's why I thought we could look at a 4-2-3-1. You know, it can be a 4-3-3 in attack, or you can drop in with five in the midfield. Didn't do it. Hey, I don't get paid the big bucks. There's a reason for it. But to your point, Marco, when you try to analyze the performance at least at halftime, you can kind of prep the players. You have a little bit of time to say, all right, we're going to change the system. This is what we're going to do. Here's where we're at. They're professionals. They're elite. Like they can make a change on the fly. It wasn't the most, you know, foreign system to them. But then now we start talking about the Callum Hudson-Odoi substitution and the Ruben Loftus cheek substitution. And then a two at the front formation when Giroud came on for Pulisic. Now he's changed it so much and for a third time this wasn't a plan he's just throwing the kitchen sink at him hoping that the players figure it out on the pitch and then to me you know I I appreciate the effort but as much as you hated Maurizio sorry because he put like for like substitutions on the players going on knew what the plan was and what their tactics were now whether or not they worked is a different question but with Frank it was a bummer to see him kind of run out of ideas and just started putting players on kind of randomly at the end without, I'm sure he gave them direction, but when you run on as a sub and you're like, oh yeah, this and that, that, your players go, oh yeah, okay, what, whatever. I'm just going to try to figure it out. And I think that, that was a bit of a bummer. I, you know, maybe 72 hours prep isn't a long time. You know he's got assistants that are working a match ahead and, and we're preparing and, you know, and they have to deal with it. But again, there's no surprise what Sheffield was going to do. I don't know if we have the stat. I think this is like the someone put in our Discord or something. This was like the 138th time Sheffield have lined up like this. And this is only the, or like Chris Wilder's 138th match doing this. And this is only Frank Lampard's 45th match with Chelsea doing it. And you can also match see the, in the same system. You know, so he's yeah. lined up with the same there you go. formation. So it talks, so it talks about. Sheffield been doing this. They were fine-tuned. They were on the same page. They they were synced up and cohesive. Chelsea were not, unfortunately, and it pulled us apart. Um, Marco, you talked about William real quick. He still wants a long-term deal. Chelsea, according to The Athletic, are not keen to offer one, and his current form is making a tough bill to swallow. Nick, Dan, and I, and some other people, we've kind of given our opinion on William, um, you know, and I think there's a little bit of recency bias. But what, what's your take on the William contract negotiation? Because to your point, him and Pulisic have been the best players for Chelsea since the restart. And it's kind of a convenient time to him all of a sudden have the best form in recent memory for Chelsea as he's asking for a, a nice long contract. Yeah, it's true. But I, I think, um, you know, Obviously, there's Ziyech coming in as an option um, on the flank. So the dynamic's going to change next season. Um, so, you know, I, 
I think William, um, his, I, I read an interview he did uh, when he was back in Brazil at the start of lockdown, and um, he said he wants to play three more years in, in Europe mm-hmm. um, at, at an elite level, uh, week in, week out, and then he wants to go and play with you boys over there in MLS and finishes in Orlando. I bet if we have to just yeah, go yeah. ahead and guess, so that's what he wants to do. And and to be honest with you, you know, I, I think you know, I can see Mourinho giving him giving him a gig at White Hart Lane, um, or, or him getting a, a, a you know, he's, he's clearly got some offers on the table. Um, would you give him a three-year deal to see him through for next season? He's not going to play after that. I, I, I don't know. So, uh, for me, the key thing with William and Pedro, although Pedro's, you know, obviously he's, he's off to Roma, mm-hmm. um, the key thing for me was keeping them through to the end of this season, which obviously was was achieved. Um, you know, beyond that, um, and, and I'm one of William's biggest fans, you know, he'd probably have his uses next season. He wouldn't be an automatic first choice pick. Two years down the line, he wouldn't be getting a game. So, you know, what what what's the point? Why 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 commit to that? Um, and you know, set a precedent that uh, is isn't something that that we do with you know overage players. Um, yeah. to, just just to you know, give him what he wants. So. In my, in my book, I think, you know, just let him go. Uh, I'd be sorry to see him go. But if, you know, if he'd if he take a one-year deal or a two-year deal, great. Love to see him stay. But I don't think we should, you know, give him, give him three years just because he's asking for it. It's the old line, Marco. If you want a happy ending, it depends where you stop the story, right? Well, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, there's still a lot of football to be played. You know, this time next week, um, we're either going to be very happy or very sad because I think it's a six o'clock kickoff, isn't it? The, the Manchester United mm. game. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, there's always the next game. Um, you know, we'll, we'll beat Norwich. I'm convinced of it. You know, that'll be another three probably as well, but in Chelsea's favour and William will probably score um, and further his cause. But, you know, when it, when it, the three games after that and hopefully four, forgetting the Bayern Munich game in August, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what William can contribute in, in those games. But for me, you know, it's like, thank you, but no thank you, William, um, and see you. And yeah. Yeah. That, that's fair uh, you know and again just while we had you might as well get your your opinion on it. i think that yeah. that's uh super reasonable hey lastly i just want to touch on tammy abraham's performance overall it's been a tough restart for him i know there's contract negotiations going on in the background i'm gonna assume that he's a professional and that's not a distraction he's just a young striker struggling through his first premier league season being the number two 10 at his, or number nine at his boyhood club but it is worth pointing out you know when you struggle we, we we acknowledge it um also the worst part of this is that chelsea youth and i think or care for youth one of the two were calling out people chelsea youth, yeah. racially abusing these players calling you know you just using racial slurs for their last name and it's unnecessary. Z- Wilfred Zaha posted today on Twitter screenshots. And I know that... Um, uh, Righty, a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, who was the abuser in that scenario. Yes. He's been taken into police custody as a 12-year-old for racial abuse. Ian Wright has been posting DMs from people that are abusing him. And at the end of the day, it's just disgusting to see. It's wholly unacceptable. You know, we have to call that out with our platform. And we did. We all retweeted it on Twitter. We're, you know... Putting these people, the police need to get involved, absolutely. And it looks like they've started to. So that statement made, put that aside. Please go retweet anytime you see people calling these people out with screenshots because they need to be put on well, blast. One of them 
did the thing that I think is just the most cowardly thing that you can do. One of them, as soon as they got called out, changed their name to a Black Lives Matter handle and deleted all their tweets and started putting up Black Lives Matter stuff as if they weren't going to get caught doing that. Um, get the fuck out of the club. You're done. It's it's over. This is this discussion is over. There's no more to be said about it. If you're gonna throw racist stuff at our own players, the for the club that you claim to support, you're not a supporter of the club. Get out. We're like there's nothing more to be said. It it, it infuriates me, Marco, to a, a point that I just don't understand how it's possible anymore in 2020. It's unfortunately been been a theme that's kind of popped up a few times um, this season. I mean, er, early on when uh, Tammy um, missed that penalty against Liverpool in the, in the Super Cup, you know, that, that was disgraceful. Um, I, I think, I think that the, the, the dangerous thing with Twitter is, you know, like you said, was that kid 12 years old? Yeah. Um, you know, I just wonder, um, you know, my daughter's 10 and she wouldn't dream of doing something like that, but she's 10 and she'll, you know, do just do weird stuff online because she's seen it somewhere else. And I just wonder, you know, if if these people are just, all right, Chelsea, I'll do this. And, um, you know, is, is there any substance to them actually being a Chelsea supporter or are they just idiots going online, doing something for a bit of notoriety, you know, like a kind of a, some kind of weird serial killer um, just out for kicks. Uh, And, uh, you know, I wonder with, you know, situations like that, whether, you know, that 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 might be the case in point. Um, Because, you know, from what I've seen of the stuff yesterday, it was just idiots, you know, Idiots who, who have got no place um, associating with anything, let alone Chelsea Football Club. Um, and, you know, um, unless the platform actually manages that better, uh, then, then it's going to keep happening. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, and, and you're right, I saw the Zaha stuff. Um, it's, it's just... It's ridiculous and it, it, it's shocking, but the platform allows allows it to happen. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I do not classify those people as Chelsea supporters. So that pisses me off more than anything when I, you know, look on the tabloid broad tabloids over here, and that you know all these Chelsea racists. They're not they're not Chelsea supporters. They've got nothing to do with our club. Um, and you know that that's the unfortunate thing, um, and the platform needs to manage it better. That, that's that's my opinion. Yeah, it's so easy to just make a a sham profile and dress up as a Chelsea supporter too, and then do that. And it, and I think you know I won't get into the tabloids you guys have over there. It might be a little bit convenient on their part to to write their headline a little bit better. Um, but anyways, just you know. It's the worst part, and he shouldn't have to deal with that after a tough performance, let alone at any point in his life. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and and I mean, there's a lot a lot of bad performances in this match. What I would say over the course of the season is that without Tammy Abraham, without Mason Mount, without Christian Pulisic, without a crop of young players who have stepped up across this season, uh, we would not be contending for a top four, top six level, we would be enjoying where Tottenham and Arsenal are right now in kind of a mid-table position. And while Tammy has struggled post-restart and in the second half, you know, second half of the season here, um, you know, he clearly outperformed his expected goals early on and helped us get into third and stay in third for a really long time. And it's something he's going to have to work through. And, you know, Frank is, is showing him the support and you know, I think the, the club is going to show him the support and he'll find a path forward. Uh, he's just underperforming right now. And that's you know the nature of the thing. And I think once he starts scoring again in, in regularity, 
he'll he'll find that confidence again and uh, be able to potentially help see us through uh, some some tough matches that remain. All right. Well, uh, Dan, you did not do your man of the match poll. No, it felt like a bad idea. That felt like a bad idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, so do you want to know what who scored uh, rated as our top performing player in the day? Oh, you know I love who scored, Brandon, so why don't you hit me with it? Reese James, 7.1. Mm. Barkley. Because he had a Bar- shot on target? Barkley in second <laughs> at 6.8. A lot of fives and sixes. A lot of fives and sixes. Uh, I actually, I thought Reese had a really bad game. Yeah, well, not statistically, honest. apparently. Uh, Mason out the 5.7. for He had the worst uh, rating as a starter. Um, anyways, obviously we didn't do it. What? Simon Johnson, yeah, Simon Johnson tweeting, worst CFC performance of the season when the stakes couldn't have been much greater. Simply have to beat Norch next time out. But now under pressure and tough game at Liverpool and finally home to Wolves. So, Thank you for laying out that run into the rest of the season. Um, you know, and as we get into the table, Nick, uh, you know, you had called for this on Twitter, the amount of points that we dropped to poor teams at the time. Some of these teams have gotten better since, but at the time, bad, bad losses. So shout out to AJ on Twitter who went ahead, whipped out the old pencil and paper right. and just and went through the season and, and pulled out all of these sham results. I love how he underscored dropped two times. Um, that that made me feel good. Uh, look, as bad as this result was, losing to seventh place Sheffield United as horrible as we played isn't the thing that's going to potentially keep us out of Europe. The thing that's going to keep us out of Europe is losing to West Ham at home with a terrible performance, losing on the road at Everton with a um, temporary manager, Losing at home to Bournemouth, which I think is the worst performance of, of, of all of our results. But Marco would argue that losing to Southampton on Boxing Day was. Uh, losing or drawing with Brighton and Hove Albion with an overhead kick after we had given them nothing all game. Uh, losing to Newcastle, same way. Bournemouth away was a horrible result. And then losing to West Ham. Like those points, even if you had received one win out of those results the amount of difference that makes in the current table is drastic. And so you can be really upset. And I currently am about the way that game went yesterday, but I would rather look at some of these incredibly winnable results that we somehow managed to bungle. And that at the end of the year, I'm going to point to that and either go, we got really fucking lucky to escape that. Or that's the thing that kept us out of the champions league. Well, I think the most infuriating thing, and we touched on it earlier is you know, we beat Manchester City with with a uh, you know a really good performance. I know Tottenham aren't a, a, a force in English football, but they're managed by Jose Mourinho, and Frank was the first guy to turn the tables on him twice in a season. Um, yep. You know, so it's there in in glimmers of the beautiful Chelsea that we want to see. Unfortunately, it's tarnished by the basics not being done on the training ground and and not being able to perform against teams that come to play Chelsea with a rigid, disciplined game plan. Um, I mean, Bournemouth, you know, Leicester are ahead against Bournemouth. Vardy scored. You know, this this is Bournemouth. Bournemouth that are getting relegated who beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. This season, we tried to help keep him up. We couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's rubbish. That that you know that, and we've already talked about it. That is the key area for improvement. And I, you know, I genuinely believe that Frank really needs to get the drains up on his coaching staff and how all that knits together, um, because clearly. Uh, he won't have the excuses of not having a transfer window if we get more groundhog days next season against against these types of teams. It's absolutely, absolutely fair uh, analysis of Frank and company. You know, the, the obvious places it needs to get better. So the table as it stands, which is Sunday, July 12th. So United have yet to play. It is halftime between Leicester City and Bournemouth where Leicester are winning. So it's it's not great for us right now. As as it stands, Leicester have jumped us. Um, 
the CAS verdict is allegedly coming out tomorrow, Monday. The possibilities, thank you to Dan for putting this in here, city serve a two-year ban, city serve a one-year ban, city receives no ban. And if you've been on Twitter, there's a lot of option C going around as the most likely result. Is it they will have their ban overturned completely and be competing in Europe next year. So if that happens, we can no longer rest our laurels on the 538 predictions, assuming that City will not be playing in Europe. So Liverpool, title winners. Man City, locked up second, 72 points. Chelsea, as I'm reading the table, third as of right now on 60 points. Leicester City, fourth on 59 points. Again, if they win, jump us on 62 points. Manchester United have not played yet, and they're on 58 points. And again, if they win, they would jump us as well, and that would dump us out of the top four for the first time since October. You've got Wolves at 55, who are just around enough to make things interesting. And then the table goes down from there. Norwich have officially been relegated. Um, did Villa get relegated today too, or no? They're still... No. no they so won. yeah, so they still have a slight hope. Bournemouth have a slight hope. They Watford are just swimming for the shore as fast as they possibly can, but they're only on 34 points. So, Dan, I kind of want to skip the 538 analysis right now until we hear the cast verdict because while it says Chelsea have dropped to a 93% chance percent chance of getting to Champions League, that is still assuming City are out. I don't feel like we have a 93% chance of making the top four. Well, I, I do... When you think about the fact that Leicester have to go play Sheffield United, who are going to be pushing to make sure that they get the European football. Tottenham, who have now gone on a three-game unbeaten streak, and they have to play Man United with their last match. So even if Leicester wins today, they still have an extremely tough run-in. We're playing Norwich City, who don't know how to find the back of the net and are, you know, finding their way back down. We're playing Liverpool, who will be on a beach, and we clearly know how to stand up for that game. You know, if there's one thing that we've done well this season, it's actually play Liverpool. So I feel really good about that. And, you know, we've got Wolves in the last game of the season. We might find ourselves with a a very happy Monday morning when Kaz has ruled. It's the top five that get in outside of City, and we only need a couple more points. We need we basically need the Norwich win and then a draw to go to advance. And that's all we But right now, Cass is our best chance of getting in. From the top rope. From the I top rope. Just... Caps jumps into the ring, yeah. takes City down, yeah. and we go back into Europe and Champions League, and it's phenomenal. Yeah, Nick, the point is it's no longer in our hands. We have now forfeited control of our own destiny. Yeah, it was, it was such a bad result. And of course, you know, I, I called this out, right? Like last year, we had every break go our way. You know, Brighton beaten Arsenal on the last game of the season handily would not. Ha- it's not going to happen this year. It's just not. So Chelsea have to handle business, and I'm assuming that Cass is going to let City off of the off the hook, which will be shocking. But we'll also set a precedent if we want to go spend all the money that we want without reporting our financials correctly. Then we can also see some victories in the in the future because they would have set a precedent. Um, it's bad. It's a bad news bears situation for us because we are basically then relying on Dan's scenario of Lester capitulating the rest of the year, which I guarantee you will not happen the way that he says it will. And it's uh, it, it makes you, Marco, rely on beating Liverpool and beating Wolves, which will be really, really tough. Will, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, though. Let me ask you guys a question because I'll be interested in your perspective because all the talk is about um, the significance of finishing top four and playing in the Champions League. So let me give you a choice. So we beat Manchester United next Sunday and then in all probability face Manchester City in the FA Cup final, beat them. Frank wins the FA Cup. Unfortunately, we slip through the net. City's bands overturned. They're still in. Leicester somehow squeak over the line and so do Manchester United. So we're in the Europa League next season. Would you be disappointed? Winning the FA Cup and not finishing top four or finishing top four and not winning the FA Cup? Pick one. I'd go the latter. And I would only, I, I typically wouldn't give up a trophy, but I think the significance of playing in the Champions League with this transfer window coming up 
could set us on a path for years to come that would net us success beyond just the FA Cup. And I know I'm not like a futures bet type of person, but if you are thinking that Chelsea needs significant overhaul in defense or attack or whatever this summer, and we're not playing in Champions League, you're not getting those players. Uh, it, you know, money, the money doesn't make sense. So I would, I would do that, Dan. What about you? Well, I, I would just say to that point, assuming all games are won through the remainder of the season by Leicester United and Chelsea, we actually would still end up finishing in fourth place, either by one or two points, depending upon the last result of the season, which is Leicester versus United. So neither of them can actually have maximum points, just as a kind of point of clarification. Um, but I would always take a trophy. I, I, I just Plus, it'd be great to beat That's United right. and City back to back. The FA Cup is arguably a harder path. Yeah, like those are, those are two bogey is, teams. Yeah, that, that is Chelsea an awful do. set of teams. Chelsea do the harder path. That is true. <laughs> you know, if we were playing Bournemouth in the semi-final, I'd be worried. <laughs> I think someone someone put that in our Discord too. They're like, I hope Eddie Howe goes out and tells them that we're, tells tells his team that they're playing Chelsea today, not Leicester, so they go out and perform and get a result. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a season. All right, hey, that's going to wrap us up. Um, Marco, it is great to see you and hear you again. Wonderful. Thank you for jumping on, especially after that result. We appreciate your perspective, sir. Well, and his uh, his latest book will be coming out. August the 21st. <laughs> Ooh. There we go. And the name of it is? When Skies Are Grey, which is uh, <laughs> the line in the Chelsea song. And... Um, Super Frank Chelsea and the Coronavirus Crisis is the subtitle. All it's right. Actually, it's actually the thickest book I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely We're looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely be plugging that and getting as many copies to our, our American friends as possible per usual. Uh, Nick and Dan, appreciate you guys as well. And listeners, you're the best. You trump everyone on this podcast. So thank you uh, for being out there. Deep breath, Norwich next. And we will be there for the pre and the post of that one. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Mm-hmm.